Good morning, community. My name is Noah Verbacek, and I have the privilege of reading today's scripture passage for the sermon. Today's sermon comes from Matthew 6, verses 1 through 13. Please follow along as I read aloud. Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them, for then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. Thus, when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may be praised by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret. And your Father, who sees in secret, will reward you. And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners, that they may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. Pray then like this, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Well, thank you, Noah, for reading that scripture passage. I'll say this morning, happy Mother's Day to all of you out there, especially you mothers and grandmothers. Mother's Day at church on Sundays is often a really sweet time for many. Uh, it's also sometimes a hard time uh, for losses in the past or hurts in the past. And I think we can add this morning not just happy and sad, but also strange, not meeting in person. But it is what it is this morning, and just wanted to say Happy Mother's Day. We're spending the next six weeks teaching through the Lord's Prayer. And The Lord's Prayer divides nicely into six phrases or sentences. This morning, we're going to be taking up the phrase, Give us this day our daily bread, from verse 11. We call the series, Lord, Teach Us to Pray, because when Luke introduces this prayer in his gospel account, though we're reading from Matthew, when Luke introduces it, he does so saying that the disciples asked Jesus to teach them to pray. And the Lord's Prayer is the prayer that he teaches us as his disciples to pray. You might have already noticed this, but I'll highlight it anyway as we begin. Like with the Ten Commandments, the beginning of the Lord's Prayer is all about God. First, we begin the prayer by addressing our Father. And it's our Father who is in heaven the place of power and authority. Like speaking of the president in the Oval Office, heaven is the control room or the command room or the the throne of the universe, so to speak. And we pray that God's name, not ours, would be hallowed, which is to say we're praying that God's worth and value and character would be known and esteemed throughout the world and we pray that his will not our will will be done on earth as it is in heaven which is to say we pray for justice and equality and peace to abound in God's kingdom on earth the way that peace and justice abound where God dwells in heaven 
These are lofty prayers. But they're the kind of prayers that we might expect to be told to pray. If we're praying to God, we should spend time praying about God. How wonderful and how great he is. But some of you, if you're honest, you might be tempted to think that these are the only sorts of prayers that we're supposed to pray. The only kinds of prayers that count, the only kinds of prayers that have the Father's ear are those that are prayers about him, that is overtly about him. But not so. Jesus tells us to pray about our needs, our struggles, our temptations, and our fears. The first three clauses in the Lord's Prayer are about the Lord, but the next three are about us. Many in the early church were so dumbfounded that God would ask us to pray about not just Him, but about our needs, that they would take this phrase here about praying for our daily bread, and they turned it so that it would be about the Lord's Prayer. They really, excuse me, about the Lord's Supper. They were allegorizing it. So for the first several centuries, and then on almost for a thousand, as the Latin translation of the Bible called the Vulgate was used heavily, almost we should say exclusively, it made in this verse, Matthew 6.11, overt in its interpretation that Daily prayers for bread were about the Lord's Supper. And in the 1500s, John Calvin came along and said of those early allegorical interpretations, this is exceedingly absurd. (laughs) In other words, the point being, as shocking as it is, God cares about our needs. God wants to hear them. As the conversation about the coronavirus has consumed media and much of our daily conversations we've been told to wash our hands many times haven't we and along with that we've also been told not to touch our face whatever we're doing you know blowing our nose or just frankly touching our face we're told not to do that and I think many of us as we've been told not to do that we've become aware of how often we're actually doing that when we're told not to touch our face we realize how often we are actually touching our face. And I bring this up because in a similar way, when we're told to pray for daily bread, it also makes us aware of something, not touching our face per se, but aware of our sin. Specifically, as we pray for daily bread, that prayer exposes our boasting, our ingratitude, and our selfish individualism. Let me say a few things about each of these. Praying for daily bread exposes our boasting. What do I mean? A month ago, a politician was speaking at a press conference about flattening the curve. This, you know, the, the related to the rate of infection and our efforts and how they were working to flatten the curve. And the politician said, God didn't do that. We did that. We flattened the curve by our lockdowns. We did it by our doctors and our policy makers and our scientists. And I'm I'm paraphrasing here. And then he said, if I want to lose five pounds, I eat less and exercise more. I have a calorie deficit. Then I, when I do that, I make myself lose weight. God doesn't do that. I do. And we are the ones flattening the curve. Again, I'm paraphrasing. 
But what do you think about that? And what does that have to do with praying for daily bread? Well, in some ways, the politician is right. We do have to do stuff. The prayer about daily bread wasn't a prayer made by a lazy farmer who expected his crops to plant themselves and harvest themselves. We do that. We study for exams. We pull a calorie deficit when we want to lose weight. We clock in at the office. We have to do the laundry. We write, or I write, a sermon. But this purely secular analysis, we and we alone did that, is superficial. It doesn't press deep enough. The we and we alone did that, at its heart, is sinful boasting. Consider consider this passage from the book of Deuteronomy. Moses is giving God's people instruction before God was to give them the promised land. And right after Moses said that man doesn't live by bread alone, God reminds through Moses his people not to, when they get into the promised land, to go about boasting as though they brought all this prosperity about themselves. Moses tells them in Deuteronomy 8, verses 17 and 18, Beware, lest you say in your heart, By my power and the might of my hand have gotten me this wealth. You shall remember the Lord your God, for it was he who gave you power to get wealth, that he may confirm his covenant that he swore to your fathers, as it is this day. Verse 18 is the one I want to key on. You shall remember the Lord your God, for it is He who gives you power to get wealth. If we flattened the curve, where did we get the ingenuity to do that? How did medicine progress over the last 150 years to the place where we could think about medicine and sickness so wisely? Who has prospered America in such exceptional ways? Well, we work hard and we work smart. Sure, many Americans do work hard and smart. But where does that ability come from? Why is your heart beating right now? Who is it that's giving your brain brain waves? Who provides your lungs with air? A pandemic should show us how fragile we are, not how independent we are. In the New Testament, we read of business leaders who were arrogantly boasting about the way they would go and do such and such and make such and such a profit. The planning and the profit were not the problems. We should plan and profit is good. The problem was the arrogance that assumes you keep the world spinning. The passage I'm talking about comes from James chapter 4. And right after his critique, he asks this question to these arrogant leaders and really all faithful Christians. He says, you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? You are but a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogance, and all such boasting is evil. 
Jesus teaches us to pray for daily bread as a reminder that unless God is the one who provides, we are without hope. Praying for daily bread also exposes our ingratitude. What do I mean by this? I think ingratitude is a sin we don't preach about much. Evangelical churches are known for our discussions of sins that are supposedly more flagrant, at least in the way that we conceive of them. But what of ingratitude? Each day God gives you life and breath and health and shelter and food and much, much more. And yet we rarely if ever, say thank you. And when we do say thank you, how often is it not in meaningful ways? It's like if each morning I woke up and came downstairs and just took off the kitchen table a hundred dollars that was just left there and I took it and went about the day spending it on the mortgage and food and other things, never stopping to ask, how did this money get here? Where does air come from? Where does rain and sun that come to grow crops, where does that come from? Did the air fairy bring air? Or does the sun fairy and the rain fairy provide those things? I think praying for one of Jesus' intentions and inviting us to pray for daily bread is to expose our ungratefulness. Praying for daily bread also exposes Our selfish individualism. What do I mean? Notice that it says our daily bread. Just as the passage says our father and give us and forgive us and then later lead us and deliver us. Here I'm reminded of something Ben said as he was and we were preaching through the book of Acts last fall. It's not that the church is like a family. We are a family. We are a family because we have one Father, our Father. And the prayer for us to ask God to give us daily bread should cause us to think not only about our needs for daily bread, it's a call to remember the needs of others, our brothers and sisters. There's someone you know who needs help right now. There are 1.8 million Pennsylvanians Citizens who do not have work right now. Will you pray for them? Will you send a text message to the ones that you know? And after church is over, after watching this video, who do you need to call? I think if you let yourself for a moment and and you ask the Lord to help you think about this, I'm sure the Lord would bring someone to mind. And I would just love for this Sunday and this sermon to, to, to kind of be this thing that starts a tidal wave of care across our congregation and our community. And going back to where I started, when we're told not to touch our face, I think we realize how quickly, oh man, I do that often. I think in the Lord's Prayer, specifically even in this phrase, we realize how quickly we have physical and spiritual needs that ultimately, at their deepest extent, we can't satisfy. And we can't provide. We are a mist that appears and vanishes. And praying for our daily bread should cause us to realize how much we need God. But 
that's not all we should realize. As we pray for daily bread, we also become aware of God's daily grace. I'll say it another way. Praying for daily bread deepens our relationship with the baker, the one who provides daily bread. Look with me again at verses 7 and 8 in Matthew chapter 6. We read Jesus saying, And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. Some people read these verses in isolation from their broader context. They read these verses and make the logical leap that prayer is a waste of time. Why pray when God already knows what we need? What kind of cruel God would know we need something and then demand to ask, be asked before he'll give it. Now there's certainly a logic to that conclusion. But that view of God as cruel can only come if you put your hands on the rest of the Bible and only look at verse 8. Praying for daily bread is not the demand of a cruel God. It's his invitation to be in relationship daily and moment by moment with the baker. The one who loves us and cares for us. He's not a bread fairy content to provide and then be ignored. And that's good for us. Because better than getting daily bread is knowing the baker. The one who wants to know you. And wants us to know Him. God invites you to share your struggles with Him. Are you hurting for friendships? If that's a daily need for you, then pray. Tell God about that struggle. He wants to hear it. Are you hurting for money? Maybe your business has been curtailed in this season. Pray. God wants to know about that struggle or whatever struggle you might have. When we pray for daily bread, we get to know the baker. We get to know how cheerful of a giver he is. In 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 7, Paul, as he's instructing the church about giving tithes and offerings, he says this, Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. Have you ever thought about why? Why does God love a cheerful giver? It's because cheerful giving reminds the world of Him. God loves to give. In fact, the religious leaders set themselves up in opposition to God. It looks like they're in league with God. They they love God, so it seems, but they're praying to God. They're talking about God. They're, in a sense, giving to God, but they're doing all of that for them. God is not at all a part of that. And they prayed and they fasted and they gave and they did it all so that people would love them. And God is so kind that he even gives his enemies what they want. Twice in this passage we read that they receive their reward in full, verses 2 and 5. God let them have it. 
And if God will do all that for his enemies, people putting on a show, feeding and clothing and answering the longings of hearts of the lost, how much more will he give cheerfully to his children? If Jesus died for our sins, taking our punishment, and then rose again, and he ascends to the throne of the universe, and his faithful children come to their father asking for help, how much more will God the Father and Jesus intercede and the Holy Spirit work on our behalf in a delightful way to give us our daily bread, whatever our daily bread is that we need? God is a cheerful, happy, delighted giver. My youngest son is almost three. Recently, he's taken to helping me walk out to the car in the morning as I head to work. And he loves to take from me the coffee mug I'm holding and and take it and walk it to the car. And I open up the car door and he sort of climbs up uh, almost and sometimes often spilling and put the coffee cup in the cup holder in the car before I head to work. And I, I love to let him do that with me. And the other morning it was raining and he was in his socks. And so I'm walking out the door and he starts yelling at me and and wanting to help. And so (laughs) I hand him my coffee mug and he holds it out. And I stand behind him and pick up him. (laughs) And I walk him out to the car and I sort of put him under one arm and open the car door and then put him back and he navigates standing on my car seat and gets it, uh, you know, sort of dirty with his feet a little bit and sets the cup holder in and I, I walk him back. I love that. I love doing that. Terribly inefficient. <laughs> but I think that's what God does. If you look in chapter 7, just a few verses into chapter 7, verses 7 through 11, you see that God calls himself a good father who loves to give his children good things. Says that when we ask for bread, he, do, or he doesn't give us a stone. When we ask for an egg, he doesn't give us a snake. As you and I pray for daily bread, we learn to pray with humility, not arrogance. We pray and we learn to pray with thanksgiving, not ingratitude. And we pray for others, not selfishly. But we also pray knowing that if we are Christians, our Heavenly Father is a cheerful giver who loves to help us. Let's spend a few moments closing by praying to our Heavenly Father. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we thank you that our needs are not a burden to you in the sense that we often perceive it. It's in fact our needs and our dependence that as we give it to you and you supply our needs with your utter independence, your utter abounding in resources, as you supply our need and our lack and meet our dependence with your independence, you show yourself strong. In fact, the scriptures tell us that you exalt yourself to show us mercy. Lord, we thank you for that. I pray this morning that we would be emboldened to pray to you 
And we would know the happiness of knowing the one who provides as you meet our needs and more so. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.